So, so now we're in the 1940s, and you're a regular photographer, one of the, the main photographers for, for life. I was having a lovely time. Yeah, I bet. I got away with murder. <laughs> but um, one, something that's fascinating is we've talked about this. San Francisco was another planet, it seems like, oh. to, to New York. So you were kind of, you, you, you had editors that didn't know what they were asking for, it seemed like. It seemed like you were kind of bringing them what, what San well, Francisco was. of course, I was, I was trying to keep the wolf from the door. Right. And I would call editors with story ideas, and they'd say, well, you know, they, they felt it was all cowboys and Indians out here. And they'd say, well, what do you got out there? I'd say, oh, that's easy. <laughs> We've got steep hills and fog, a couple of bridges that won't quit. And we've got Herb Cain, and, and they'd say, okay, I guess you can shoot us a story on that. The conversations at the interval take place a few times a month at the Long Now Foundation's bar, cafe, and museum venue, The Interval, in San Francisco. This podcast is brought to you by Stripe, a company that's working to build the economic infrastructure of the internet. They help people start internet businesses and accept online payments from customers all over the world. Fred has been so generous uh, with his time and with his work. And uh, literally, there are hundreds of uh, Fred Lyons photos that are showing on the screens here tonight. We've got them, for those uh, watching on video or, or uh, live stream, um, we've been showing them on four screens uh, around the room uh, through the course of the night. Uh, <laughs> Um, the one, you'll see some of the ones you've seen before uh, in this presentation and some that you haven't as well. And, um, and then we're going to show even more afterwards. Uh, Fred's books are for sale in the back. We hope that you'll buy when young artists need their support, right? So, so support an up-and-coming artist. Um, before we get into um, the conversation with Fred, uh, I have a little, uh, well, first of all, I want to say, uh, as you may have noticed, Otto, our chalkboard robot, drew a map of... Uh, San Francisco. This map is adapted from, it's actually a couple uh, maps uh, smushed together, a, a very old map from the 19th century and a more modern map um, so that it gives us the bones to talk about the city as we go through some places in it. Uh, the David Rumsey map collection uh, makes a, a, an appearance here and this is uh, uh, the historical map that's one of our sources and thanks to Cameron from our team for uh, helping Otto draw this tonight. Um, but the very first thing before we get into the conversation is I've put together a little something with some of the, uh, the photos that, uh, that I liked the most from the large set that, that Fred shared with us. And uh, I wanna just sort of say a few things over it. So this is um, 85 photos in 365 seconds uh, that I've put together for you. And uh, it's going to let us just dive straight into the work. Um, and uh, like I said, I'm going to just say a couple things over it to uh, hopefully introduce some of the themes we're going to go into tonight. Uh, is that, is that uh, good, Fred? You want to say anything before I launch into that? Yes. Lock the doors. Don't let anybody <laughs> out. <laughs> this is your life, Fred Lyon. Okay. <laughs> So here we go, and um, uh, Fred Lyon and San Francisco are two subjects of the night. So we'll start with these 85 photos in 365 seconds. And we talked about um, this, how 
how photography is really all about time. So I'm going to say a few words and stir up the themes, these postcards from the past, some icons from today's San Francisco you'll recognize, other things that hint at an age gone by. There's nature and culture and art and commerce intermingled in a San Francisco we all know well. It was a night like this long ago. Let's have a look. Maybe even gawk. The frame shows us scenes that are old but maybe new to us, while others are familiar. Persistent and enduring. The present decontextualized by seeing it also existed in the past, sometimes a dramatic new vantage point. Or the same again, enduring. Change that stays the same, but different. Cities are like this. Stable, but dynamic. Still, but in motion. Like what we call pace layers here at Long Now. Culture and nature up against each other. An entangling of governance and infrastructure. And commerce. All those parts moving in concert and contrast. Some things fleeting, never to return. Others continuous. The persistent set, though costumes may change with fashion. Steps on the temporal path to where we are now, even though we're in the same place all along. But there are odd artifacts in the midst. Some are surreal. Or real, but still strange. Others seem banal, which makes their details irrefutable. The photos remind us there's a story to the moment and to each face, and more stories. Every car connects lives, transit, an open window, travel between places, between stories. Stories frozen in a moment or a trajectory. How did the moment end? What happened next? Where are they now? around the block or the world. Maybe the surreal meeting of the, and meeting the ordinary is actually always present. The iconic object under maintenance. Golden Gate Park's glory framed as a sliver beside the fact of all our humanity. A front yard rare in San Francisco with an unnatural glow. Strange things, maybe from before you came to town. Did you hear about that accordion house? <laughs> Who's this guy? There's a story behind each picture making too. Practice, choices, luck, and timing. In a sense, we're all in the currents of time. Rushing past in youth. Changing pace as life goes on. Our memory is biased to big occasions. So we may miss how sweet an everyday moment actually is. Just another day at work. The same old commute. 
home sweet home. Each moment every day open to routine or epic adventure. A photo's not worth a thousand words, it's different, sublime. The photo brings feelings in between words. So I'll stop the words and just give you Fred's photos for a little longer. Eighty-five photos in 365 seconds. We made it. Play, play them Thanks, again. everybody. Have a great night. <laughs> um, and and we end with uh, four iconic uh, San Francisco shots. These are Fred's skinnies. Do you want to? Um, maybe we can. You can say a, a quick word about skinnies. Then we'll go back into the. Actually, it was a, uh, an art director who was working on a new magazine a long time ago, and he had columns, vertical columns he had to fill, and he said, do you have any skinny pictures? And he said, I said, why? He said, well, I have a, a client who has some very bad copy, and I thought if we... <laughs> If we, put a, if we put a large picture instead of the bad copy, we'd get away. And so I, you know, these are just croppings. And I thought, hey, this is fun. And I kind of like the look of them. And it's a sort of an elegant proportion. And it was a great success. And so I've been making them ever since. Um, it's just a cropping, but uh, San Francisco is a very vertical town, <laughs> and so why not do vertical pictures? Uh, it also encouraged me, encouraged me to make a lot of vertical pictures because I discovered early on when I was really starving uh, and needed to, I was being paid by page rate, and I discovered that um, if I shot horizontals, the best I could hope for was a half page. But if I shot vertical, I might get a full page. And so I really learned to shoot a lot of verticals. <laughs> it's, it's the practical advice we get from you that is, is uh, so. Right. So uh, I want to say a couple quick words about uh, tonight. There's a lot to potentially fit in. I've put in more than we can possibly see, and that's OK. We're going to cut. Uh, we're going to get as far as we can with this, and we're going to open it up to questions from you. Um, I've got a, a nice little setup here so that I can jump back to earlier photos. It may take a little bit of hunting, but if you see a photo that you want to ask a question about later, try and remember what it is if you ask. Hopefully Fred can speak to it and I can also find it in here, so just something to think about. We're also going to have uh, the photos going afterwards. and. Um, yeah, so um, anything else I should say? Well, so, so uh, this, is, uh, this is our... Our, our hero a few weeks back. Um, I want to say a quick thank you to, to Gary. Gary's a gentleman holding a camera uh, right back there. And, and he has been the photographer for the majority of the uh, events that we've done here and for Long Now seminars as well, and a, and a great friend um, as well. And, and it was, uh, he had, uh, he met up with Fred, I guess, uh, maybe last year at, a, at uh, an, an event that you were, were at and uh, came and said, there's this uh, 
photographer, San Francisco native in his 90s. I'm like, is that Fred Lyon? Um, and is sure enough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Gary not only recommended, but, but, but helped uh, to, to connect us for this. I'm so uh, happy that it's been just a joy working on it. And this is one of Gary's uh, photos uh, from a studio visit he did with him. Um, I knew about Fred because of this awesome documentary, um, which uh, KQED, uh, the local PBS station, did. It's on Amazon Prime for a couple bucks. Uh, you can watch it, Fred Lyon, Living Through the Lens. I highly recommend it. It's probably, probably maybe 10 years ago now, something like that, that it was done, something in that area. Yeah. And, uh, but it's great. So we're not gonna repeat anything with that. So anything, you, you just make sure you see that too. Don't, don't repeat any of the same stories, okay? Um, <laughs> That's a terrible thing to ask anybody. <laughs> we don't get along. That's our biggest problem. Right? Um, so, so uh, let's let's take it back. So, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna start with your uh, your your first encountering of San Francisco. Um, tell us a little bit. You're you're a fourth generation San Franciscan. Tell us about your people, as they say. What 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 were your folks and and uh, um, well, yeah, I was brought us. up down the. Peninsula, uh -huh, uh -huh. first in San Carlos and then, then in Burlingame. But uh, my family's always been here and mm -hmm. uh, we're still here. <laughs> were, there, were there other uh, photographers in your family or other uh, artists or? Somebody turned up a, a wonderful picture of my father with a, a very strange looking thing, taking a picture. Uh, and that was the first that I knew about it. But uh -huh. it was a time when you had to look in the camera and, and line up two little circles in a little prism. And uh, that was not photography, mm -hmm. really. <laughs> um, so you were born in 1924. I was. Uh, his, his birthday was last week, uh, by the way. So it's really more like he's 93, to be honest, you know. But uh, but no. But but I'm really 94. Yeah, you are. Yeah. I'm really. Uh, actually, next week there's going to be the fall antique show at, over here uh, in Fort Mason, and I will be represented there. Oh yeah. But they they like to have me because I'm their poster boy. Not not to be clear. I'm not a genuine antique. To be, not yes. Not that you, but your photographs. It's not that you're the antique. It's that your photographs are there by, by your, your photo, photography Maybe. dealer. We'll okay. See. All right. We'll clear that up later. Um, so, so I have to ask you, so, so as we've talked about this, it's, it's about, um, it, you know, we, we all live through time. Um, you have, have um, had this relationship with the city the entire life, including documenting it in this way. And... Um, you, when you were born, there were no bridges to San Francisco. Um, and and uh, so the, the bridges uh, start construction, I think, both in 1933 and are completed over the course right. of three or four years. What, I, I can only imagine that that was world-changing just conceptually, I but I don't know as a kid well, whether you, the, what perception you had of that. Not just the bridges, yeah. actually, uh, it's, it's rather odd living this long because mm -hmm. I was here before the Embarcadero Freeway, mm -hmm. and I'm here after the Embarcadero <laughs> Freeway. <laughs> I think we won on that one, yeah. Maybe I'll be around 
when they build another embarcadero. That's right. That's right. That's right. But San Francisco, uh, somebody asked me, didn't I miss the old San Francisco? And sure, I miss that. But that isn't what this is, town is about. This is a town that is a vibrant, evolving metropolitan area, and it has to evolve, and it has to change. And there's some things I, that I don't care for. I, I could do with a lot less traffic, and I could certainly do with better parking. But um, we have things that we didn't even dream of. I love to eat, and the food in this town offers us such incredible variety, and only time has brought that to us. And the cocktails are still pretty good. The cocktails are, are superb. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on that note, here's a vibrant, evolving, metropolitan gentleman in the, in the peak of his, uh, or I don't know if it's the, in the peak in, in the thriving uh, heart of his out. career. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's talk about your, your career. And uh, you, you had, um, you joined the army, is that the, correct? The, the, the Navy. The Navy, sorry. I was going to save the world and... Well, it, it's still here, it, so... It didn't quite work out the way I planned, <laughs> but... But you were pilot briefly? Is that, is I, that, I trained yeah. to fly. Yeah carrier planes, mm -hmm. and that never occurred. Uh -huh. But uh, at one point, I got out of that, and they sent me to, off to uh, Washington, D.C., and there I was in a, a very tiny photo unit mm. that, uh, in the Navy Department. So and you had already taken up photography before the Navy? I had, well, when I, got up, when I was finishing high school, I went started down at Art Center, okay. and um, I was there for a little while, and uh, that was a mixed arrangement. Mm -hmm. They weren't sure what to do with me, and they threatened me, and they felt threatened by me. <laughs> um, well, but but we had a wonderful time, and then I went to the Navy. And in the Navy, I covered the White House, and uh, subsequently, that changed a lot of my picture values, because mm -hmm. up until then, I thought that the slick advertising things were the, really what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But I worked with news photographers there, and that really changed my picture values. Mm. And then, when I escaped from the Navy. Uh, Are you on the run still? Do we need to? Well, I was a, you know, they give you some mustering out pay. And so mm -hmm. I took that and went to New York for the obligatory drunk. And that went on for a while. And I. <laughs> the uh, drunk I, and New York in general, yeah. That, when that got to be a little thin, uh, I was, people kept saying, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm. I'm trying to see what the photography market is here in New York. I didn't know what the, I was saying, but a couple of people gave me little slips of paper with somebody they knew. Mm. Um, 
And one of them was a, uh, was a fashion studio, and by mistake, I got a, a job as a fashion photographer. <laughs> and I didn't really know anything about fashion photography, but I was very young and very brash. <laughs> and they offered me real money. And so I said, just let me close up my apartment and I'll be here on Monday. And uh, it was just that kind of a time when everybody could reinvent themselves. And I just kept backing into good things. Yeah, and when, uh, when about is that uh, year-wise? Are we talking? Oh, that was in the early 40, mid-40s. Okay. And then you came out, so you did I, that for I, a few years? I, I came out here after doing that for a little bit. Uh, I felt that there was something to photograph that wasn't exactly eight to ten feet away from me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I came out here, uh, I came really to visit my family and they would do my laundry for me. <laughs> and, uh, and then their, their friends kept saying, well, Frederick, what are you doing now? <laughs> and, and I would say, uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a magazine photographer. I had no idea what that was or how one became that. But I kept saying it, and one day the phone rang, and it was a call from New York, and it was a magazine. And they said, we understand you're a magazine photographer. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, was, that was the beginning of a large downward slide. <laughs> and there were just so many opportunities. And I was, the only thing I'll say in my own defense was that I was willing to grab every opportunity and kick the hell out of it. <laughs> but I just knew that if I didn't, there were a lot of people who wanted that same opportunity. But there was so much variety, and I did everything. I even photographed a dog once. <laughs> so now, now a dog photographer specializes right. just in dogs right. and makes right. many thousands of dollars. There, there aren't just, I was yeah. way ahead of the curve. <laughs> there aren't just food photographers. There are people that only do entrees and things like that. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> eventually, I, I did everything. Yeah. I, I did do food. I did do fashion. I, I did underwater, aerials, anything that came by. But it was, it was all just, it was all really about the exuberance of the time because mm -hmm. everybody had been deprived for the years of the war. Yeah. And everybody just felt like they were running around with their shoes off and they were willing to take chances on things. And that really is, where we all got excited because we could experiment and once in a while somebody would take one of our experiments and do something great with it. It sure made me look good. <laughs> and being 3,000 miles away from where publishing occurred, if something didn't work out, they couldn't get at me. <laughs> so, you know, and I, they just didn't know what I, what I had missed. So, so let's, I want to dig into this a little bit because it's fascinating. There's an interesting little conundrum of the fact that um, all the photos we're seeing tonight, I want to talk about the photos we can't see. So all the photos uh, in 
that you shot for life, for, you were shooting for life and for Vogue regularly, is that right? right. And, um, but those are not photos you actually have copies of in no, general. We, uh, I, I spent a lot of time driving to the San Francisco airport directly from my shoot, sometimes in the middle of the night, to go to what was Air Express at that time, the Railway Express Agency, and putting them in huge red envelopes and... When he says them, he means it used to be these physical things that you <laughs> shot photographs on. So, well, so you would have rolls and rolls of film that you shot. It was just exposed film. Yeah. And I would never see them again. Yeah. Because it was like dropping them into a bottomless pit. But that didn't matter because... Because the editors kept calling. We, we, we were on to the yeah. next thing. Yeah. And uh, it was so much work. It was so much work. There was a time when I was really booking everything every day solid. And I had to quit doing that because sometimes I would find myself going out to a shoot without having thought about it, which was, you could get away with it once, but you could get away with it twice. So, so now we're in the 1940s and you're a regular photographer, one of the, the main photographers for, for life. I was having a lovely time. Yeah, I bet. I got away with murder. <laughs> but um, one, something that's fascinating is we've talked about this. San Francisco was another planet, it seems like, oh. to, to New York. So you were kind of, you, you, you had editors that didn't know what they were asking for, it seemed like. It seemed like you were kind of bringing them what, what San well, Francisco was. Of course, I was, I was trying to keep the wolf from the door. Right. And I would call editors with story ideas, and they'd say, well, you know, they, they felt it was all cowboys and Indians out here. And they'd say, well, what do you got out there? I'd say, oh, that's easy. <laughs> We've got steep hills and fog, a couple of bridges that won't quit. And we've got Herb Cain, and, and they'd say, okay, I guess you can shoot us a story on that. And uh, so I'd call Herb and say, well, we gotta go do it again. <laughs> and, and we were both unattached fellows at that time, and, and we, liked, we liked jazz. And so we would go to the clubs, and. Herb knew all the ladies, and that was nifty. And, and <laughs> You're just so innocent. That's nifty. I, I Thanks, just, Herb. I just had to experience everything. It was part of my job. Absolutely. But, you know, photographing in this town is really a shock because anywhere you point the camera, you come up looking good. Yeah. Um, and everybody was, was very receptive. Uh, there were some exceptions. Actually, <laughs> I loved working with the kids on the street, and yeah. that's what I miss these days, because there aren't many kids playing in the street. Uh, parents can't afford to live here, and, and I don't know. There just aren't many kids. But, it was all a product of, of the time. Um, everybody was eager. The only exceptions I found were, um, I once intercepted a, 
a telex from an editor in New York who said, and Fred will capture pictures of the awe on the face of the Chinese in the background in Chinatown. And I said, no, no, let me get to that telex. I said, Fred will not capture awe on the faces of the Chinese in Chinatown. They will be the most impassive expressions that one can imagine. But that was not any reason to stay away from Chinatown. Because, <laughs> you know, the neighborhoods were delirious. Yeah. Chinatown, South of Market, uh, North Beach was, was just right. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll take a look at that in a second. I want to do this one bit of um, the publishing world coming together, this historical oh. photo for a second, and then we'll dive into some more of, of your work. Um, so, so this is 1953. 1953, I had a call from Wayne Miller. Wayne Miller was a marvelous photographer, and he and John Bredis and I were doing 99% of the San Francisco uh, assignment work. And he, Wayne and, and his wife, Joan, had, uh, Wayne had been part of Steichen's unit in the Navy, and uh, Wayne and Joan helped Steichen put together and edit the Family of Man exhibition, which was incredible. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, and Wayne called me on the phone and said, Fred, Steichen is coming out for the, for the first time to the West Coast, and everybody wants to meet him. Now, that's ridiculous. That's just not possible. So I've invited, uh, we're having an afternoon with Steichen, and everybody, all the photographers on the West Coast are invited. <laughs> And All the photographers on the West Coast, and, everyone. And we want, you to, we want you to photograph this. And I said, with all those guys, those heavy hitters, why me? He said, well, I want to be sure that we have something on film. <laughs> and that was a backhanded compliment. It, it didn't speak to my creativity or inspiration, but I was a good plotter. And, so uh, this was a marvelous day. Everybody showed up. In fact, I still look at the close-ups in this picture, and there are people there, faces I recognize, and I'm still trying to identify them. Uh, so, but we can say, so this is, there's a, well, so working up there, Dorothea Lang. Dorothea Lang is in the center. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's me. And, uh, Steichen sitting next to her. Uh, and Eugene Cunningham is up on the up the level. That's Joan right there, right? Your hostess. Um, and then you had it on a timer, I assume, because oh, I somebody else, somebody there said, you are. come down here and get in. <laughs> <laughs> and so I crept in over here on the left, <laughs> way on the left. But it was it was a an incredible gathering. I don't think you could ever put together that kind of a group together again. So, um, where, where is that photo taken, sir? Or that was taken at, at Wayne's, Wayne Miller's home in uh, Orinda. Orinda. Yeah. And, and it's still there, and his family still lives there. So, 
we're going to go through um, some some sets of photos about particular projects, and this about aspects, iconic aspects of San Francisco. Anyone who wants to guess what this first section is. Uh, what this, this is this is the photographer's friend. <laughs> Fog is so important. Uh, it, it's it, it is our identifying natural effect, but it, it's very you know, it, it covers up works of man that need covering up. And, and then there are a few things that you can actually manipulate and use for your own uh, usefulness. And unfortunately, it's, it's, it's not something, actually there, somebody now makes a little, a little um, bug bomb of fog that you can, you can use. And I <laughs> it's, have, not, I have, it's not the real thing. I have one, but I haven't ever used it. I, <laughs> it probably doesn't work anymore. This is out uh, uh, at Not Fort far from Point. here. Yeah. We have a Fort Point beer on the, right back there. Um, That's looking into the sunset. <laughs> there, From your book, there, there, there's a there is a little backstory to this. Um, I was doing a for some magazine a story on San Francisco, and I had had a phone call that morning. Uh, from the magazine, and they said, Fred, we're trying to close this story, but we don't have the fog picture yet that you promised. I said, look, you can't cue the fog just when you need it, but I'll get it to you soon. They said, well, if it doesn't get here, we'll have to do the story without it. And that evening, my bride and I were invited upstairs to our landlord, uh, who was upstairs, who was going to pour us a cocktail. And when I was up there, he was just about to pour, and I looked out the window, and I could see this string of fog coming. And we lived in Sausalito at the time, and I said, oh, don't pour. And I said, what? <laughs> We're ready. And I said, I promise you, I'll, I'll buy you a drink the moment we finish taking this picture. But we have to go right now. And so we rushed out there, uh, that's just above uh, where Sutro Baths was. Um, and that is my landlord and my bride <laughs> and, and my uncle's car. <laughs> and, uh, and while it looks very romantic, if there were, I'm so glad there is no recording of it. <laughs> because they were saying, Fred, for Christ's sake, take the picture. We're freezing our buns, and we're dying of thirst. And, and just one more exposure. And, and I, I had to take them immediately to the nearest bar. It was a very expensive production. Those but it made the, you made your deadline. Made the deadline. And actually, we didn't print it again for another 50, 60 years. Um, but, but now it's in the book. Now it's in the book. But we'll, we'll get to the book in a minute. Okay, um, let's move along. So, so then there's this guy. 
Uh, Mr. Herb Cain. So, so do you remember when, so, so Herb Cain, just to get our, uh, our facts right here, I think he started in the 30s writing for First in Sacramento in here. Does that sound yeah, right? Yeah, he was in Sacramento. Yeah. And he was known as the Sacramento Kid. And he appeared here and was an instant success. And Herb was unique in that he really got San Francisco and did a column that uh, was like no other. And nobody's really been a success in trying to do that again. Well, I was always irritated at people who said, well, Herb, when are you going to write something serious? And to me, this was a great accomplishment. Uh, it, it, I mean, there, it's, it's hard to explain to someone. In a way, it's like, you know, when there were three networks and everybody watched Walter Cronkite and that kind of thing. But for San Francisco, there was Herb Cain. I don't know that most cities ever even had so much uh, kind of a singular voice that kind of represented um, the city in that way. Is, is, was, is that what you would say from being experienced in contemporary? Yeah, I would say that was true. Yeah. And, and he really loved it. Um, and and he was so let's let's just characterize it for folks who never saw it because but first of all for sixty years uh, basically he was writing for the Chronicle and briefly for the Examiner in the midst of right. it right yeah um, and, and it, there were times when I would be going through my cleaning my desk and I would find a, a snap that I'd done of him and I would throw it in the mail to him and once at a party he said. Hey, Fredo, would you do me a great favor? I said, sure, Herb, what? He said, please don't send me any more pictures of me when I had hair. <laughs> because he went, he, he went through a period when he had electric hair that, that did everything. And then, then he went through a period when he didn't have enough hair. <laughs> and, and, but uh, he, was, he was out on the town all the time. And... When he, went, when he went to the examiner, uh, I asked his replacement at the Cron how it was trying to write a Herb's Cain, Herb Cain's column for the Cron, and he said, it's no hope. There are only so many talking lawyers and talking doctors in this town, and Herb's got them all sewed up. But so, Herb, Herb would, Herb had a, uh, a roll of three by five cards that were a perforated roll, and they were in his uh, his trusty royal. And whenever the phone would ring, he or his assistant would take w whatever came in, and if it sounded like something promising, they would type it on that, and it would go into a, a little card file. And when it came time to put together a, a column, Herb would go through that and and rephrase it in three dot journalism, as he called it. And 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 so just to and we can't fully characterize it here, but but again, he started in the 30s. He he was writing until the 90s. He was doing six a, a day, six a week rather, uh, six days a week, and then ultimately down to three. 
but they were these little, uh, in, in a way it's like a string, it's like a, a Twitter thread of little, uh, little, little chunks of, of things. As you said, the sort of index cards oh. together and it's things that are happening, tips or, or gossip a little bit here and there. Um, how would you characterize what well, he was uh, actually writing? They were wonderful little squibs that he had adjusted to, to make them really zing. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, if you were if you fed stuff to him regularly, uh, every once in a while he would mention your name, and mm. that was a great thing. Mm. I found that my UPS man would always ask me when he came to the door, "How's your buddy Herb?" <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, "My God, everybody does read this thing." <laughs> uh, and and I did get to know him through a number of wives. Um, so we're going to make a transition into the music scene, and here's another familiar face who we'll get back to, um, but these are just amazing photos. So let's talk about jazz and the jazz scene. What, um, you, were you going out to the jazz? How many, how, there, what were the jazz clubs that were happening, and, well, and how would you go about well, hitting the clubs? Well, Fillmore Street was was very rakish mm -hmm. and uh, totally unrecognizable today, but there were marvelous jazz. Uh, you know, I was in a different club every night, and I assumed that this was going to go on forever. All the jazz greats were available, and I couldn't conceive of a world when they wouldn't be in place. Uh, some of these are uh, well, some of them, some of the pictures were from assignments, but some of them were just because I was there. Um, actually, as time went on, I thought, I was there, why didn't I shoot that? Mm -hmm. um, then there is the, the idea that maybe I was there, but I was too drunk. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it, actually, it wasn't easy to get drunk because there were, it was usually a two-drink minimum, and the drinks were just off. <laughs> they were. I want to. I want to give a great toast. To them. <laughs> uh, were, so you you were going out no matter what it sounds like, but there were assignments. Was there interest in the jazz scene uh, oh, from yes. from the publications? Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes, and well. There were certain people, uh, uh, these guys were marvelous. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Myth Mole on the trombone, and... Um, Muggsy. Muggsy Spanier. Muggsy, I had known in New York, but he came out here and retired to Sausalito, and I, I have to say I would, in, our, in his latter days, I would run into him in the post office all the time. But he never wanted to talk about jazz, he just wanted to talk about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> but the jazz scene was nonstop, and uh, we had good clubs that were painfully smoky, and, and the booze was terrible. But now, here for instance, um, this, this is a guy Errol Garner. Errol Garner. Yeah. Who was known for his piano. 
and an occasional grunt in the middle of it. <laughs> uh, and this is probably the only good picture I've ever seen of him. And I've loved it, but it looked a little bit, a little bit mechanical. So I, I tried to do something else. And uh, this is one of the experimental things that we have done. Were you doing this just for, your, for yourself, or were, was it something that was published somewhere, or? Well, some of the things, were, some of the things were for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We did do a, um, there was a magazine called Posh that was uh, published by the P&O Orient Line. Mm -hmm. And they had a, an inspired uh, editor who has been with us uh, up until very recently. Mm -hmm. um, and he had an idea that we should do a, a jazz story, but because they wanted to pos position this magazine for all the different ports of call that they had, they said, mm. we can't, let's make it abstract. Let's mm. talk about jazz, but let's not let's not really show exactly who it is. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and that's, and that's that photo shoot. So we'll, we'll look at, uh, that's the, um, the well, other photo Ernie shoot. Well, okay. who was okay. with us up, who was a, a great chronicler of North Beach, Got and it. who had recently had three books, and uh, was, I had many adventures with him, mm -hmm. but, uh, we did cruises together and uh, lots of jazz, lots, lots of good food, mm. wine, all sorts of marvelous things. And he did something that I, I have to say I have envied. Uh, he had a marvelous, he had a book, his third book uh, signing, had a debut in uh, North Beach, and everybody came, and everybody ate and drank, and he had a wonderful time, and he died the next day. Wow. It was his 90th birthday. Wow. And I was wow. so envious of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, going out in style is really important. <laughs> Really important, and he had a lot of style. <laughs> um, do you want to say something about Billy? We've got a few photos well, that you the, took of, of, course, of Billy. Uh, the faithful always appeared, no matter when. Uh, these were for a couple of different shoots, I think. But one of them, I think, was at the uh, Mark, Mark Hopkins, mm. and we were all there at one o'clock because that was the time that she could come because she'd just gotten out of the slammer for a, a drug charge. And, uh, but she was there, and she was marvelous. <laughs> so, and this was Sonny Rollins. And Sonny is still with us, and he's my hero. Mm -hmm. um, this was part of that shoot that we did with Ernie, uh, where it had to be a little abstract. And nobody was publishing abstract pictures in those days, but Ernie did. And uh, it was one of the things we've always loved. And it 
it looks better today than it did then. And Fred likes this photo so much that he sent both the black and white and the color version of it so that I could choose, but I also <laughs> could not choose. Um, that's one of the great things that's happened to us these days is that, that we're able to, uh, we're not able to do so well on color from black and white, but we're doing able to do really marvelous black and white from color. Mm -hmm. But so, now this. So, so I asked Fred, so who's the guy playing the Harry Parch looking instruments? And Fred said, that's Harry Parch. <laughs> that's what it's like well, talking to Fred. I was, living in, I was living in Sausalito, and um, my studio was down in the old shipyard, and the old shipyard had lots of space, and um, so starving artists were sort of camping out there. Uh, and somebody said to me, did you ever meet Harry? And I said, who's Harry? He said, well, he's, he's the brother of that uh, Virgil Parch, the cartoonist that's in the New Yorker all the time. And I said, well, what's, what's he doing here? I said, you know, he's invented some kind of crazy music. It, it's a, I don't know, 24 tone to the octave scale, I don't know. But, <laughs> but he's, it, he's, and he's composed this music to go with it. But he's had to invent instruments that are different in order to play this music. And I thought, well, if he's here in town and he's our own personal what's-it, I better go see what he's doing. And so I went and he was a fascinating man who was just hanging out, barely subsisting, but building these incredible instruments giant marimbas that were really impressive when, when you'd hit a note on it, it would, it would make the floorboards, <laughs> floorboards really vibrate. And, and there was something about the music that was captivating. So he had, he had a lot of time on his hands. And so whenever I had time, we'd, we'd do a few more pictures. And eventually, uh, people began to pay attention to him, and he, he did a lot of compositions. He did a few uh, recordings, and eventually there was a uh, there were some performances of uh, large costume productions uh, on the Sausalito waterfront against the background and. Uh, it was very dramatic. Not many people understood it, but a lot of people were, were captivated by it. And he went on to have a great cult following. And, uh, Big influence on Tom Waits, um, all, all kinds of experimental composers as well. And, uh, and, and the you cult, said- The cult does go on. And you said you did a jazz shoot, uh, a shoot with some jazz musicians pretty much right after that, right? And you told them about Harry? I, I went to a, a concert one night because Stan Kenton was in town and uh, I went backstage afterwards and uh, here's a picture of, 
the back of Stan's head. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so you basically dragged them over the, the day and, after the, yeah, <laughs> the and, shoot and, to and meet Harry. Is, and this is the, the drummer. Shelly. Shelly Mann. Shelly Mann. Shelly Mann. Yeah. And I was telling them about, about uh, Harry Parch. And they said, gee, could we meet him? I said, sure, <laughs> we, let's go over tomorrow. And so they came to Sausalito. And here is Harry giving them a demonstration or a, a, a pep talk. And they were, they were fascinated. And uh, Shelley even experimented on the giant marimba. So we're going to skip ahead. We're getting a little out of time. Joe, are you out there with the microphone? Get Joe's attention. He will get you the microphone, and we'll, we'll get some audience questions here in a moment. Um, this gentleman is not just an artist, but a bartender. Is that correct? It's Trader Vic. Trader Vic Bergeron. And, and in his latter days, he was also a sculptor, uh, a self-proclaimed sculptor. And here he is uh, in his... Uh, in the studio of his instructor. And there was, the occasion was a, a wonderful luncheon that he gave for Herb Cain and Barney Conrad and, and a few really nifty ladies. And, uh, and here was, this was the best sculpture that he ever did. This was the Mai Tai. And at one time, he, he called me on the phone and said, hey, Lion, uh, uh, I got to set the record straight. Somebody else said they invented the Mai Tai, and I invented the Mai Tai, and you're going to do a series of pictures, and they're going to run them in Life. Because <laughs> you were the editor of Life at that time. No, it was just, just and, a photographer. And, and I, I, I couldn't talk him out of it, so I, I called his office and spoke to the, uh, his executive, the top executive, I said, I can't get this thing in life. Uh, this isn't the sort of thing they run. And he won't take no for an answer. <laughs> so just don't argue with the trader. It's going to cost him a lot of money, but just take the pictures and they won't ever make them. And it was all right, because he sent a truck over that had fishnets and not those kind of fishnets. Fishing floats, <laughs> cases of rum, cases of Mai Tai mix, uh, a barrel of snow ice, and a, a very small Oriental Asian gentleman who knew exactly how to put all these things together. <laughs> When, when that gentleman left the studio, I was left with all this stuff. <laughs> and, but it was, it was a marvelous time. It was a, a time when I was going to spend the summer uh, in the Napa Valley, and none of our friends had a real, a real home there. And I always appeared wherever we went for whatever occasion, with a little basket, with all my 
Mai Tai stuck in it. And I was a riot. I was a big <laughs> man. And this, this is the big event. And uh, I should say, this is one of the few photos here that Fred didn't take. This is probably before you were holding a camera. I would, uh, uh, this is I the early that, days. Of... I think that was at Hinky Dink yeah. in Oakland, which was the predecessor to... Uh, but you did take this cover photo for his autobiography and I think that was later. Hinky Dinks as well. Um, so we're, we're running a little short on time. Uh, I do want to get another I, San Francisco. I haven't Francisco. finished telling the whole story of my oh, life. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> And, what happened and next? My, my wife wants to hear it what again. What are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> are, are you sure you're going to tell every chapter? Uh, oh, God. No. <laughs> um, I want to uh, invoke another uh, Bay Area icon of photography um, of a different sort, which is Adolf Gasser. Um, but but this, starts, this story starts with a photo shoot that you did um, oh. of rice fields. Is that right? Fortune wanted me to do a story on the rice harvest up in the Sacramento Valley. And a rice harvest is not an easy thing to dramatize. Uh, it, it just didn't have it. And I thought, what can I do that will be special? So I conned a, uh, a grower there to agree to take three of his harvesters and start them out together in a field. But, uh, they moved at different rates, and once they started out, they were not going to come back for a second. So, so this is like a Busby Berkeley choreography of rice harvest, but it's all the rice is ready to harvest, so you only get one shot because then it started to be harvested. Yeah, and so I had, I had really just minutes to, to cover it. I decided it should be an aerial, and uh, I needed a special aerial camera, and. So this fellow on the left is a terrible, stubborn, Swiss <laughs> camera genius uh, named Adolf Gasser, who, who did miracles uh, for all the professional photographers. And... Uh, Had his store on 2nd Street for forever until, actually just the last couple years. And on Gary, yes. Right. And... Uh, and his son still lives in the Bay Area. Yeah. Yeah. He, everybody used him, but he, he did marvelous things for me. And you knew him well. I'm, uh, oh, he I'm built <laughs> an underwater camera for me that was a huge, terrifying plexiglass miracle that <laughs> enclosed a, a Leica, and it, it had everything. But we mustn't discuss that. <laughs> but I said, Adolf, we need a special aerial camera. And so I described the problem to him, and he found an old Graflex and took the back end of it, which had a, a focal plane shutter, which was a, a miracle of cloth and springs and levers, and, and he made a wooden cone for it. And, uh, and I had a, a, a war surplus aerial lens, and he would use that, but it, it had to be focusable at... Aerial cameras had to be rigid, and so the lenses only focused at infinity, but I wanted to be in an 
and a crop duster playing, and I wanted to be down low. Uh, and so I said, you, we have to be able to focus it. He said, well, you can have one focal point. How far do you want that to be? I said, let's make it 100 feet. And so he created this terrible looking camera. Uh, is, that, is that this guy that's in the photo? I mean, the, there's you as this guy, but then uh, well, what you're holding what is I, that? What I'm holding is not that camera. This is another, another one of those another Frankenstein. cameras that we constructed <laughs> for a certain uh, For a reason. task, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. a task. Uh, this is the world's ugliest camera that I'm holding, <laughs> but uh, we put it together, we, we put these cameras together for a specific use, and then we were going to, you know, make the finished version. Of course, we never got around to that, but, but we did a lot of work with these cameras, and they were terrible. But, <laughs> but Adolf did, did do this, but he built that camera overnight, and he and I were in his shop until far in the night, and the focusing depended upon a a spring-loaded race. I can't describe this, except that it was dependent upon three little ball bearings that were mm -hmm. a certain uh, diameter, and that would make the other. So I had I had two focal points. I had infinity and 100 feet. But to get it to 100 feet, we had to have these three ball bearings, and in the middle of the night when he was doing the final assembly, he dropped one of the ball bearings on the floor. And uh, if you've ever seen two grown men with flashlights <laughs> and, and tweezers going across the floor inch by inch, uh, you know, the, the, everything we did, there was some crisis involved. <laughs> but, so, so did you get the shot? I went the next day, and I had to face... And, and I'm sure super early in the morning, right? Oh, yes. It was yeah. just after dawn. Yeah. And I was in a, the back seat of a, a crop dusting plane, which were biplanes because they, they had a lot of wing space, which was necessary for, for crop dusting. But I was in the back, and I was faced backwards, uh, or, I don't know, I was hanging out of, but I wasn't able to really watch. Mm. And when you were going very quickly uh, at 100 feet over the ground, uh, it's very important to get the picture at the precise moment. And that was what I concentrated on. But I recall after the first pass, I, he then pulled out to go around again. And he looked at, back at me and said, want to go again? <laughs> fiendish look on his face. And I thought my stomach was going out through the soles of my feet. But uh, we had to go around again. But we only had a couple of passes and then they then the harvesters were gone. But it made a, made a nice opener in the... 
story. So we're gonna we're gonna get to an audience question. So Joe, if you've got something queued up in, in a second, um, I want to just I want to mention your books really quickly, um, and and another amazing shot. Which if don't we don't hurry. get to, don't hurry. Hmm? Take your time. <laughs> Let's take our time. Um, Fred has pre-signed the books uh, in the back, both these books, and uh, while we're talking about them, so. Um, so the noir book just came out last year, right? Right. And and uh, the other one, the San Francisco uh, portraits, uh, portrait of a city, uh, just a few years before that. Right. So, and you're working on another book right now. Is that right. accurate? Right. Um, so I, it's a restlessness I have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you're you're drawing you're drawing from work that you've uh, that you've done as as these right. did. Yeah. I'm not. Uh, I'm not shooting much anymore. Yeah, you're not going out after this and, uh, and going I, on location. I wish I were. Yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I'd love to do another San Francisco book, but I need another 100 years. And okay. <laughs> or 94. You're a little bit ahead of that yeah, pace. Yeah. Um, so, so this is another incredible story. I'm not sure if we'll get to, to tell it. Another amazing aerial shot that you have on the cover uh, of the Portrait of a City book. But um, let's see. Um, Joe, where are you? You've got a question. Great. Let's hear that question. Thank you. Hold it very close, please. Really helps. Yeah, they've got you. Don't worry. Okay, great. Yeah. So I, this has been absolutely brilliant, incredibly fabulous, and I hope that long now and interval will take the opportunity to do an archive with Fred Lyon and do part two, part three, <laughs> or even part four until we hear this amazing, amazing photographer tell us every tiny detail about his photographs. I'm, I'm a little worried about that archive. It, it sounds like I might be in, in a long box. No. So uh, while, you, while you guys continue to ask questions, I'm just going to flip through more of his photos. So your, your questions may be interrupted by oohs and ahs. Um, Joe, do we have another one? You have it in someone else's hands there? Or uh, I need a mic if somebody's... Uh... There you are, young man. Make sure to hold it very close to your mouth so we can hear it. Mr. Lyon, lovely photographs. Thank you. Uh, I can't even begin to imagine the years of uh, experience and training that went into getting all that technique. Um, I have more of an historical question for you relating to the jazz pictures you were taking. Can you say anything about the... Those were in the, what, the 40s and the 50s, I guess? Uh, it was a lovely time, and... I have a specific question. <laughs> could, you, could you say something about the color line that used to exist between black and white uh, jazz musicians along Venice uh, Avenue back then? Well, in the music world, in the music world, the color line really disappeared. Everybody, well, it's like, like the photography world. Mm -hmm. Everybody respects good work and uh, there were times when Herb and I would be the only two white guys in a, a club on Fillmore Street. But we were perfectly welcome there because everybody was there for the music. And the music was so good. I, I was a... Uh, a great fan of Dixie and 
uh, Dixie was having a resurgence in San Francisco at that time. And so um, I didn't turn down any opportunities. But it was where everybody came to meet, everybody who was interested in the music. And I'd say music is one of the uh, best levelers and places where we all enjoy one another. And, uh, you know, there's just no argue, arguing with good music. The scene was great. So, Fred, let's, I'm going to sneak in a question here about the Golden Gate Bridge. I was showing some of the photos, but you have this amazing, um, so, so you, you got up in there. <laughs> well, as, 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 as they say. Um, tell, tell us about what this was an assignment, I, I take it? Actually, it was, one of, it was early on, and mm -hmm. uh, I, had to, I had to keep getting these assignments. So some unwary magazine said, oh yeah, go ahead, shoot that. And I went to the Golden Gate Bridge office and said, uh, I'm a photographer and this magazine wants to do a story on the bridge painters. And they said, oh yeah, go out and see Joe, he's the foreman, he'll fix you up. And so I, I Joe was, thought it was really funny and I was crawling around the bridge for a couple of weeks and they, they were all amused uh, and after, you know, they, they saw me running around and a couple of times they saved me from doing dangerous things. Uh, I, I must say, there were vantage points that I had, you know, photography is all about getting your camera located in the proper viewpoint. So that's what, what I was always about. That's what made aerials and even underwater necessary. But here, for instance, I was underneath the roadbed, which was really the scariest place. Mm. That little thing in the center is Alcatraz. And when you're beneath the roadbed, there is a very odd sensation because you, you cannot see the, uh, usually cannot see the horizon. So you look down and if there's a breeze, you see white caps moving underneath you. And the sensation is that the bridge is falling over. And it's very, very, that, that's, that is much scarier than being up on top. Mm. Being up on top is achieved by, they, there is, in each tower, there is a tiny electric elevator. Uh, and it will accommodate two painters, and if they hold their lunch bucket on their top of their head, <laughs> and it goes fairly slowly up the top. They've also discovered that you can get two more guys on top of the cage if you remember to stop the elevator in time. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not so good. Uh, but the first time I got up on top, I was so excited that I ran out and started to run down a cable. And one of the guys said, 
Uh, I, buddy, I think you better come back here. I want to give you a, a safety belt. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I really appreciated your concern. Well, well we're, we're about to have to wrap this up, uh, I'm afraid. I wanna, I'm going to actually introduce one, I'm gonna squeak one last thing in here. Fred's going to hang out, and, and we'd love for you to come up and, and see him and say hi uh, if, 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 you've, if you've got uh, energy to hang out with us a few more minutes. Uh, I want to just touch on this thing. We'll just do it quickly. This is almost a moment of science fiction with San Francisco, a, a, a future that never was. Um, so uh, this is what we, we talked about. This is the, the, the potential design oh. for highways of San Francisco. And uh, again, another uh, illustration from uh, a map from David Rumsey's uh, map collection. Um, this is the 50, I don't, I don't know if I remember the, the year on this, but Tell us something about this because you... It was a great opportunity missed. It was just terrifying. 40, 48? Yeah. So, so this is a, a close-up. So it was, it was... So we know about the Embarcadero Freeway. You mentioned it earlier. But these were freeways kind of all over the city. Well, they were, for instance, the one I was concerned with because I lived in Sausalito at that time. I was concerned with this connection to the freeway system from the Golden Gate Bridge because there were a lot of people who didn't want to be strained through the whole traffic of the city. They wanted to be on the other side. They perhaps were going to the airport. And there were, it was highly contentious because what we ran up against were eventually was some politicians who owned real estate that might be impinged upon when they did wonderful free, freeways, expressways through the city. But that's what, what this marvelous map was. And I hadn't seen this map for so long, I had forgotten a lot of, and it, it even shows a southern crossing, which is something that still needs to be done. Um, and you came up with a marvelous illustration. Well, and this is the, the uh, so this would have been a tunnel under Russian Hill. Wow. I, I, I would not like to have had real estate <laughs> on top of Russian Hill. I mean, some things better not to fool with. Well, I'm going to flip through uh, a few more of these photos. We have a lot more. Um, amazing Fred Lyon work. We'd love for you to stick around, come say hi to Fred. Please buy his books in the back. Uh, Fred, I, this has been amazing. Has this been amazing? I, 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 can't, believe, I can't believe that I have, have cornered so many good people in this <laughs> tiny space. You can unlock the door now. <laughs> Fred, it's uh, been a great deal of fun for me. This is a little uh, thank you gift from us. It's the Long Now uh, Challenge coin. It's oh. for you. Uh, it has our, our motto on it, Carpe Millennium, Seize the Millennium, <laughs> and a thousands of years old uh, bristlecone pine on the other oh, side. Thank so, you uh, so much. Thank you for your incredible work. Thank you so much. For spending this time with us. Thank all of you for coming out. And let's uh, hang out. We've got some more cocktails. Thanks for the cocktail. Thank you. 
If you enjoyed this talk, check out previous episodes with Neil Stevenson, Stuart Brand, Kim Stanley Robinson, and many more. Find them on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you like to listen. The Long Now Foundation is a member-supported nonprofit dedicated to fostering long-term thinking and responsibility. Long Now members make everything we do possible. Learn more at longnow.org.